0: I'm sure some of you are wondering about the decorations in the sanctuary today, and just wanted to assure you that this will not be normal. We had vacation Bible school this week, and when they found out that I would be delivering the message today, they decided to keep it up as a distraction (laughs) on the off chance that I would err. I want to wish each and every one of you a happy Pentecost. In the church calendar of the year, today is the day of Pentecost. A couple of months ago, when Adel said that he would be uh, asking to spend some vacation time around his trip to the General Assembly, which is next week, and I ask you to include that in your prayers, our General Assembly of the EPC, I was aware of... uh, three things. Number one, that today is Pentecost, which means that on the church calendar, this is Parkway's 21st birthday. We were chartered on Pentecost in 1998. Second thing I was aware of is that it's traditional to read from Acts chapter 2, where the story of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and then 3,000. But as many of you who know me know I am not very traditional. And so our scripture reading today comes to us from Leviticus, every Presbyterian's favorite book of the Bible. And it comes specifically from the section of Leviticus that establishes the feasts and the festivals. Our scripture today comes from Leviticus chapter 23, we'll be reading verses 15 through 22, and as is our custom here at Parkway, please stand as you are able for the hearing and the reading of God's Word. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, count off fifty days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this set bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect. One young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with the grain offerings and the drink offerings, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering, and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On the same day you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. There is to be a fasting ordinance, for the gener- a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Please be seated. Let us pray, Father God. Your word is power, Father. It's the inspired holy word. It is is spirit-breathed. And Father, we seek not today to understand this through the context of a Western-educated 21st century worldview, but Father, we seek to understand the significance and the symbolism and the meaning, Father, of what you established and what those on that very first Pentecost day would have looked forward to and understood, that we may see you more fully revealed. And Father, to that end, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. As everybody knows, and this is a story that if you've been in church for any period of time, this is kind of one of those highlights, right, where the Spirit of God is breathed out on the Apostles. And they start speaking in the languages of the people around them. And many are convicted. And about 3,000 come to saving face. And this is occurring 50 days after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we remember where those disciples were. Before the resurrection, they were in hiding. They were terrified. And in 50 days, God had taken a group of leaderless, terrified followers and transformed them through the power of the Spirit into leaders that would establish the church that we worship in to this very day. That's a pretty big transformation. And I think it behooves us to remember that these were not the leaders that we see in Acts 2, but they were Jewish people, just like Jesus. Matter of fact, Dr. Cornelius Van Dam, Professor Emeritus of the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary, Says that a very good place to begin to approach Acts is from the understanding that the festival we see in Acts 2 was a sovereignly delivered festival established over 1,470 years before the events in in Acts chapter 2. It's not like this was a coincidence. God had been planning this for a very, very, very long time. And many of us, if we stop to think back, to the time of the giving of the law. Because in, in, in the Hebrew culture, the Pentecost, or what they called the Shavuot, the Feast of the Weeks, was very closely linked and established to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And, you know, we know what's going on there. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. And God hears their cry. And God starts to move in a very powerful and mighty way. He reveals His glory to Moses in a bush that's on fire yet not consumed by it. The Shekinah glory of God. And God makes a promise to Moses in that place by that bush. He says, my people will worship me on this mountain. And Moses is going, how are you going to do that, dude? Those people are across the sea in slavery and God says I'm going to use you and Moses tries to talk himself out of it but God says you're going to go and so we all know the story not a whole lot later there's a, a lamb gets killed the blood gets put on the door the plagues of Egypt the Passover the passing through the Red Sea And the next thing you know, by chapter 19 of Exodus, the people are assembled on the plain at the foot of Mount Sinai. All of Israel is there. And the glory of God descends on that mountain in fire and light. We know the story, right? But what I want you to see here is that so much of the history and so much of the festivals and so much of what these people of Israel are being asked to do that just seems really crazy to us today has a meaning in God's overall purpose. We just spent the last 18 weeks going through a sermon series in Revelation, and it was very enlightening. And it was full of unpacking the symbolism that's revealed in the throne room of God to the gospel writer John. And there's an important image. In Revelation 21.3, we read that, And I hear a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God that's how it ends that's what we're moving toward in the end God's purpose is to dwell with his people in a right relationship and everything that has happened throughout history is moving us inexorably towards that day. And God uses the establishment of these feasts to give us mile markers, to give us benchmarks on the journey. Important to note that the feasts are given in conjunction with the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20. The establishment of the festivals is given to us in Exodus chapter 23. It's repeated later on in Exodus. He repeats it in Numbers. He repeats it in Deuteronomy And it's given its fullest revelation in the text that we read in in Leviticus. Clearly, God is serious about his people understanding that these festivals are there. And at the onset of each harvest season, all of the males of Israel, and by extension their families, were required to assemble at the place that the Lord chose to make a dwelling for his name. Get the imagery. You see, in, in, in the first century and before, there was no CNN. There were no TVs. There were no moving pictures. There was no radio. There were not many books there were people living in isolation in small communities working to eke out an existence in an agricultural land. And so God said, you know, it's good for these people to come together and see what I have done. Because the the feasts fulfill a number of purposes the first thing that they do is they reassure the people of God's presence you see God had made promises to their forefathers and they were acutely aware of those promises Abraham a 90 year old with a 70 year old wife who was childless living in a land gets this message from God that I am going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham's wife goes, right. And so they had to name their kid Itzak for laughter. Because Sarah laughed at God when she said what he was going to do, and yet God did it. And when they assembled the people of Israel, and you got hundreds of thousands of people in one place. God has given his people a visual that I have fulfilled my promise to Abraham. And that would be an encouragement to his people. The second thing we need to be aware of in the giving of the festivals is the timing. God has assembled the people at Mount Sinai. He has just taken them out of slavery in Egypt. And He is about to send them into a new land. A land that is flowing with milk and honey. A land that has cities built and people will live in cities they did not build. And they will reap crops they did not sow. And they are about to walk into a land of abundance, a promised land. A land that's better than anything that they have ever known, but is fraught with danger. There's the danger of pride. Because of wealth. Look what I have done. Look how much I have accumulated. There was the danger of a culture. That existed outside of God's will. God's desire for his people. And God knew that the people would be tempted by that culture. And so he wanted to. And if I get through this sermon without tripping on this stuff. We'll call that a minor miracle today, okay? But God wanted his people to be reminded over and over and over again that it was he who delivered them into this land, that it was he who was providing them with this bounty. And so the festivals fulfilled a a reminder In a lot of ways, the festivals operated as a prophecy as well. Not only did they talk about promises past and promises kept in the present, they pointed forward through imagery to promises that were yet to come, promises that were yet to be fulfilled. Bible scholars call them foreshadowings which is like a four-syllable word and therefore beyond my comprehension. But many, many, many biblical scholars say not only are these festivals important dates in the Jewish religious year of that day and time, many of them suggest nowadays and for centuries past that studying the Jewish festivals gives us an insight into God's salvation program for the people that he is going to bring to himself in those end days. I got that and I said, wow. Matter of fact, a, a Messianic Jewish scholar by the name of John Parsons tells us that a study of Leviticus 23 gives us everything we need to know. He says it gives us God's entire plan from chaos. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Right? And what's going on? There's darkness and chaos in the land. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? Parsons says it, Leviticus 23 reveals God's entire plan from chaos to eternity. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. We will have new resurrected bodies. A new Jerusalem will come down. God will make his dwelling in our midst. He will be our God and we will be his people. And it's all being foretold in the symbolism and the propheticness of these festivals. Matter of fact, the word for festival in hebrew which i cannot pronounce moadim is the closest i can get is also the word for seasons and appointed times so at the appointed times the people of israel are to gather together and all of those festivals were built around a harvest there were seven festivals in the jewish year three of them occurred in the early spring And they were tied to the barley harvest. That was the Passover on the 14th day of the first month of the year. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which began on the 15th, the very next day. The First Fruits Festival, which began on the 16th. These guys could put a bunch of holidays together, okay? And then you count off... 50 days or seven weeks from the first fruits and you have the Shavuot, the Pentecost. And that coincided with the harvest of the wheat, the second harvest. And then there was a period of about three and a half months during the hot, dry season when the creek beds would dry up and pilgrimages would be impossible And then in the beginning of the fall, right before the winter rains, on the first day of the seventh month, there was the Feast of the Trumpets. On the tenth day of that month, there was the Day of the Atonement. And finally, beginning on the fifteenth day of that month, there was the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Sukkot. And that coincided with the third and the final harvest of the year, the harvest of Of the trees and the vines, grapes and olives, figs, dates, pomegranates. And it was a time of great celebration because tens of thousands of people would stream in from their small villages and they would assemble in Jerusalem at the foot of Mount Moriah the Temple Mount. And singing songs of ascent, they would unite as one people and approach the presence of their God with the bounty that God had provided in that year. And you just got to get this picture. As these pilgrims are walking up with their baskets of barley or wheat or fruit... They're looking around going, man, there's a lot of us. And as the baskets are being given over, and by the way, your homework for today, please read Deuteronomy chapter 26, about verse 10 in there. There is a section on what the ritual of offering the first fruits to the priests was, and it's beautiful. And if you think our worship services take too long, imagine that you're 119th in line on the steps with your basket of stuff. And there's 118 people in front of you reciting this beautiful passage from Deuteronomy. And then we got to get to the reading of the law and stuff. But as the baskets piled up in front of the altar. The people of Israel were given a visual of how abundant was the blessing of their God. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And throughout Biblical recorded history, God is moving us never-endingly toward that purpose. In the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. After the fall, God walked alongside the patriarchs. In the hour of need, God made His presence available to Moses, and He led His people Israel out of bondage with a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. And miracles cascaded. He moved them through the Red Sea and destroyed the Egyptian army. He provided them sweet water from a bitter spring. Manna from heaven, quail, (coughs) water from a rock. Defeat of the Amalekites... And in a fulfillment of his promise and his prophecy to Moses, he assembled his people and gave the law. And in 50 days, God had taken those people from slaves in Egypt to a people that were about to perform a covenant, a wedding ceremony with the one true God. Now we know the story from there. Israel's unable to keep the covenant despite their earnest desire to do so. And we see failure after failure after failure and God giving them a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and a sixth chance and a a seventh chance. To by the time of the judges, the people were doing evil in the sight of God's eyes and he departed. He took his glory away from them. Now it reappears briefly with the dedication of the temple. You'll find that in 1 Kings chapter 8 where God Solomon's temple is being consecrated and the glory of God returns to the people. But it's not too long before that that we have generations and generations and generations of kings of Judah and Israel that do evil in the sight of the Lord. And the guy says, I'm done with you guys. And so to Ezekiel, a prophet in captivity, he reveals a vision, and the vision is the glory of God leaving the temple. And Ezekiel's in despair, and God says, "Don't worry, I'm going to save a remnant." In Ezekiel eleven seventeen to twenty, therefore say, "This is what the Sovereign Lord says: I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you've been scattered." And I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my degrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Fast forward to the New Testament, to the days of Jesus. Something that we saw foreshadowed in the giving of the law. In the days of Jesus, there was a season of miracles and wonders. And the religious leaders with eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, and hearts made of stone, did not recognize God dwelling amongst his people. And we know the story. But what we may not realize is that Jesus was executed on the day of the Passover. He was buried on the day of the unleavened bread. And he arose on the celebration of first fruits. So when Paul tells the Corinthians in the letter to the first Corinth that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, Jesus was literally raised on a day established by God more than 1,500 years in advance. But wait, there's more. The Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, is inextricably linked to Passover. Passover. As a matter of fact, the Jews are told in Leviticus from the day of the, after the Sabbath, the day of the first fruits, count off seven weeks. Those of you that follow your Hebrew numerology know that seven is a number of completeness or perfection, right? Well, seven sevens would be perfection perfected. The fullness of time. The appointed time. And 50 is kind of like seven sevens with a free throw and one. And that means that there's an expectation there. And so as these Jews are counting off from the days of the Passover to the days of the Feast of Weeks, there is this expectation that there is something more, there's something coming. And after a week where Jesus had ridden into town being proclaimed the coming king the confrontations in the temple the secret trial the crucifixion the burial the pilgrims coming on this particular Shavuot this particular Pentecost must have been wondering what's God going to do now And they were not to be disappointed. After the ascension to heaven, Jesus told his disciples to stay together, to pray together, and to await the coming of the Holy Spirit. And on the day when all of Israel gathered together to go through the rituals of sacrifice, God poured out his Spirit, first on the twelve, then on nearly three thousand. And the church age began. The second harvest was fulfilled. Dr. Van Dam, the uh, professor emeritus of Old Testament, tells us that in the NIV where Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, on the day that the Pentecost came, it might be better translated as on the day that the Pentecost was fulfilled. On the day that the Pentecost was fulfilled, the spirit came and the second harvest first fruits were brought into the house. Nearly 1500 years ago God established the law and the festivals. In the Old Testament, the blood of a lamb on the first Passover began the story of God's physical salvation of His people from bondage and culminated in the giving of the law. It was the dawn of a new age. In 50 days, He had taken people from slaves to become His special people. In the New Testament, the blood of the Lamb brought spiritual salvation to the people God had chosen and set the stage for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus fulfilled the Passover, the unleavened bread, and the first fruits. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given on occasion to individuals, usually leaders, over centuries. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God was lavishly poured out on the 12, then 3,000, and a multitude since. There were three festivals. There were three harvests. The second harvest has been fulfilled. The third harvest is yet to come. With the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit on his people, the promise of the Pentecost has been fulfilled. And we are now living in the days between the second harvest and the final harvest when all of God's people will be gathered together and a new heaven and a new earth will descend. And God will make his dwelling place in the midst of his people. And we will be his people. And he will be our God. Father God, Lord God, we pray with anticipation Father, we look forward to the day, the fullness of your time, and Father, we know it's not far away. The first harvest, Father, was fulfilled when you saved your people. It began with the blood of a lamb. Father, the second harvest was fulfilled with the blood of the lamb, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the outpouring of the Spirit. And, Father, it's possible that today that the lambs of the lambs that are being sacrificed might be ushering in a new age. And so, Father we, Father, we seek to glorify you and be obedient unto your word. And, Father, we know that we're incapable of this without the Spirit. But, Father, we are a people, though spiritually saved, we live in a fallen and corrupt body in a fallen and corrupt world, and we, aren't, we yearn for the day when all will be made new as promised. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray.